if we read Exodus well, we see that the first few chapters move rather slowly. Exodus chapter 3. We're picking up after the account of Israel in Egypt. Joseph has died. Moses has been born. And Moses is in the land of Midian. And the Lord calls to him in a famous passage, Exodus chapter 3. The bush is burning but it's not consumed. Verse 3, Moses thought to himself, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? And there the Lord spoke to him, and he said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses answered, Do not come closer, the Lord said. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said to him, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God tells Moses there at the bush that is on fire that he has come down to rescue Egypt, to rescue, rather, his, his people from Egypt. And if we progress in chapter 3, no deliverance yet. Chapter 4, the Lord helps Moses to perform some miraculous signs, confirms his choice of Moses by allowing Moses to perform these signs, but there's no deliverance. Chapter 5, the Lord instructs Moses what to say to Pharaoh. Go tell Pharaoh. Let my firstborn son go, Israel, to me, this corporate son to the wilderness that they might worship me. But there's no deliverance. In chapter 5, finally, Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh what the Lord said to him. Begins to perform signs and, and demonstrate what's going on and, and begin to say what, what is happening. And, and yet... There's no deliverance yet. Pharaoh's hardened. In fact, things get worse in chapter 5. In chapter 5 and verse 10, the overseers and foremen of the people went out and said to them, this is what Pharaoh says, I'm not giving you straw. Go get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but there will be no reduction at all in your workload. In the progress of the first few chapters of Moses, or of, of Exodus here, things do not get better for Moses. Things get worse for Moses. 
there's no deliverance, though the Lord has said there would be. There's empowerment and confirmation of Moses, and that confirmation and empowerment actually serves in some ways to frustrate Moses further because all that has happened is Pharaoh's heart has been hardened. The situation has gotten worse and not better. All of this helps us make sense of Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. The Lord replied to Moses, Now, now you are going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let them go because of my strong hand. He will drive them out of his land because of my strong hand. The point of the delay, the point of the great opposition that Moses faced and the increasing opposition that Israel faced is because there's a timetable of judgment. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 and that temporal idea now serves to gather up these previous chapters of Exodus, especially chapters 3, 4, and 5, and it's here now. Now you are going to see, because God is going to demonstrate to Pharaoh that he is the God of creation, and he is the God who judges as he says he will. If you're a guest with us, we are walking through 2 Peter, and if you'll turn there, locate 2 Peter chapter 3 toward the end of your Bible. The books of Hebrews... James, and then 1st and 2nd Peter. If you're a guest with us, we are walking through 2nd Peter and thinking about eternity and living in light of eternity. We began looking at 1st Peter in uh, the, the spring months and at Easter, and we have been walking through 1st Peter and now into 2nd Peter here through the summer months and beginning to conclude our study of these books. And along the way, we have thought about the way Peter writes, the synthesis of his ideas, and we see that in 2 Peter. And over and over in these sermons in 2 Peter, we've noted chapter 3, and now we are here. The, the problem that Peter has encountered in his audience is that in chapter 3, as he writes, the group of people that are opposing him and the believers under his care are denying judgment. And they're denying judgment because they think there's been such a delay, maybe it won't happen at all. And Peter articulates here in the first couple of paragraphs of chapter 3 that that's not the case. Actually, this delay is God's grace so that many more would come and God's grace is being displayed and we, we are asking the, the question, what's the danger of rebranding Christianity? And we have thought the last couple of weeks about this rebranding in terms of a change in the message itself, a change in an emphasis, a, a diminishing of some aspects of Christianity and a highlighting perhaps of another or a way of diminishing it so that present experience might be looked at differently. 
And that's what we have here. And we have noted along the way that on the whole, throughout the history of the church, if Christianity is rebranded at some point, it, it is for the sake of convenience in terms of behavior. Rarely is it the case that, that Christianity is rebranded. I say, I say that in a sense of, of emphasizing some particular aspect of Christianity or, or nuancing how it's articulated in some way. Rarely is it because of cognitive study, and this is a convictional level idea. It's much more for the sake of convenience. This I want to diminish because it inhibits me. Tired of fences. And, and if I'm going to have fences, let's redraw the boundaries. Let's redraw the property lines. And that's what's happening here to the point that judgment itself is being denied. There is no judgment. There's a delay. And what has happened, and we can see the connections as we've noted along the way. Let's diminish and blur the lines of judgment, just kind of erase that a little bit. And in so doing, this gives us greater freedom and license in terms of ethics and especially immorality. And that is the logic that Peter is having to encounter. And, and that's why he emphasizes so much in chapter one, the nature of Christian virtue. Because Christian virtue now demonstrates that we are God's people. It demonstrates that we understand the connection between receiving divine grace, receiving an inheritance in the, the kingdom that is coming, and, and surety of that is shown in how we live. And our lives, therefore, can be judged, and how we live, our works can be judged as a reference to our faith, that there is an integrity between what we believe we have received and how we walk in the general patterns of our lives to the degree that our works can be judged to demonstrate what we believe. Therefore, how we walk now reveals our eternal state. And Peter is over and over putting these ideas together and drawing the integrity of Christianity. It is not the case in the New Testament that beliefs and behavior are not integrated. They are. If you want to know one, all you have to do is look at the other because they will bear one another out. This is the way the New Testament works, and Peter's emphasizing that. Rebrand the message, and you're going to have a lifestyle that doesn't display that message. In other words, our, our lives always display what we believe, and that's the case here. The danger of rebranding Christianity has been our concern for the last few weeks, and here in the midst of the, the series on living in light of eternity in Second Peter, we have sort of a mini-series thinking about the danger here of rebranding Christianity, and what we have today here in chapter 3 are, are three ideas, and, and Peter's going to deal with judgment, and what he's going to set out is because of the fact of God's word. This word that was spoken by the prophets, confirmed at the transfiguration, spoken by the apostles, this word of, of God's power, creation, the, the word of God to rule over the natural world as God demonstrated to Egypt in the Exodus. Because... 
God judges simply by declaration, simply by speech, and that there's no difficulty in God judging. If, if that's the case, if Peter's opponents will allow him that, then the next logical step is that if there is a delay, it's because of God's gracious purposes. If it's the case that God can judge and alter the natural world simply by his word, his word that was spoken through the prophets, his word confirmed at the transfiguration, his word through the apostles, if that's the case, then if there is a delay, we have to conclude it's because of God's grace. So when he does speak, it will be the consummation of his redemptive plan. So when judgment comes, and it will, that's going to be the end. Therefore, we should live in a certain way while we wait. Peter, even in 1 Peter, noted the connection between judgment and the way that people live. 1 Peter 1, 17, if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you're to conduct yourselves in reverence during this time of temporary residence. And Peter is going to indict those who would oppose him because their works do not demonstrate faith in Christ. They don't demonstrate participation in the kingdom. They don't demonstrate that they've received this participation in God's work, and therefore they're going to face judgment. And this is what he has described in 2 Peter chapter 2. There is this sharp division that will take place in eternity at the judgment between those who believe and those who don't. Throughout the text here in the first 13 verses, we'll have opportunity over and over to look back at 1 and 2 Peter and see how the, the ideas that Peter has expressed are now mounting and coming to fruition here. His logic is consistent from one epistle to the other, and his ideas in 2 Peter flow together one to the other. What's the danger of rebranding the Christian message? Since simply by speaking, the Lord can judge any delay is, is his grace until the day he would fulfill his redemptive plan. Notice with me in the text in chapter 3. Notice verses 1 through 7. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written you. In both, I awaken your pure understanding with a reminder so that you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. First, beware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, following their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have since the beginning of creation. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth existed out of water and through water by the word of God. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded by water. But that same word, by that same word, the present heavens and earth are held in store for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The frame of thought that Peter sets out begins with a review, and it's, a, it's sort of a summing up. Dear friends, verse 
verse 1, the second letter he has written. Earlier in the epistle, in chapter 1, verse 12, Peter writes, I, I always remind you about these things. Even though you know them and are established in the truth you have, I consider it right as long as I'm in this tent to, to wake you up with a reminder, knowing I will soon lay aside my tent. Peter's urgency is that he, he wants to make every effort 2 Peter 1.15, that after his departure, they would be able to recall these things at any time. Peter is emphasizing here the words that he is writing and what he is going to develop these words. These are, these are God's words through him, and there's a continuity between what God said in the past, what was confirmed in Jesus, and what is now being spoken by the apostles and prophets, what is, what is spoken as well by, by Paul, he'll say in, in the final paragraph of the chapter, that there's this through line of God's revelatory word. Chapter 3 and verse 1, I want to awaken your pure understanding with a reminder so that you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Stop for a minute and just unpack verse 2. Do you see the transmission of ideas? God's words? You can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets. Peter has written about that even at the outset of his first epistle. Concerning this great salvation in 1 Peter 1.10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you concerning things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to look into these things. Peter's ideas in, in 2 Peter 3, that the prophets spoke and there was a commandment, 2 Peter 3, 2, that was given, that commandment of Christ, and it was given through your apostles. This recalls us also to the end of 2 Peter 1, where Peter interpreted his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration as a confirmation of the prophetic word of the Old Testament. There's the prophetic word of the Old Testament, the confirmation of the transfiguration, and now this word through the apostles and prophets. If you could think for a moment of piping or, or conduit or plumbing, if you've had any, any work done, perhaps on your home or you've done projects or you're a builder, you recognize that when there are L joints, that's often a place where something can get clogged or there's a, 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 a sharp turn, that's a place where there could be a clog of some kind. Rarely do we find a clog in a straight pipe, it, unless there's some substance inside that shouldn't be there, it can happen, but it's, it's often in those corners where flow is going to be inhibited and the speed with which something could go through that pipe is is diminished, that's where there's going to be a clog. In Peter's logic, there are no L joints in God's revelatory program. It's the prophets, it's Jesus, it's the apostles. 
there's some movement, maybe a, a bit of a curve here or there, but there's absolute fluidity so that what the apostles are saying, through your apostles, Peter says there, they communicated what in 2 Peter 3.2? They commuted the commandment of Jesus, and that follows the words of the prophets. So there's the Old Testament gathered up, confirmed by the word of God from heaven about Jesus at the transfiguration. That's confirming what the apostle said. This is a through line of God's revelatory word. So if that's the case, verse 3, beware of this. Though these scoffers are going to come in the last days, and these scoffers are going to outright question the judgment, where's this coming? There's a delay. Is this ever going to happen? Things. Notice what they say, verse 4. Things have continued just as they have since the beginning of creation. You can almost hear uh, Peter chuckling a bit when, when they would say since the beginning of creation. Oh, you've tipped your hand. Yes, let's talk about creation a moment. Let's go ahead. Let, let's walk down that path. You deny judgment, and then you mention creation. Let's, yes, thank you for bringing that up. In a debate, you can just see the <laughs> They willfully ignore, verse 5, and here's what they ignore. Long ago, the heavens and the earth existed, i.e., they were created out of water and through water, verse 5, by the word of God, by God's word in creation. And by the way, that's the same word through the prophets, through the commandment of Jesus, through your apostles. God is the same speaker who ordered creation after he made it is the same one who has ordered his revelatory plan, his redemptive work in his son and through the apostles, through the prophets. It's the same speaker. Same God, same declarations. Through these, verse 6, through these the world of that time perished when it was flooded by water. And how was it flooded? <clears throat> Peter's imagery here, thinking about Noah, takes us back to the previous chapter. When God used Noah to demonstrate what? God is able to judge and he is able to save out of judgment. He knows how to rescue the godly and punish the wicked. And that's what his word is going to do. Verse 7, here's the implication. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are held in store for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. This day of judgment that Peter has in mind is the final judgment that John talks about in John chapter 20. The great white throne judgment. John chapter 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and one seated on it, earth and heaven fled from his presence. No place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. 
another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. They were judged according to how they lived, and Peter states the same. All humanity is going to be judged by how we live. For believers, we understand that Jesus' blood forgives our sins, and there's a sense in which Jesus' blood is the basis of our justification. It is the basis by which we are made right with God. But in the logic of the New Testament, that justifying blood can be seen in how people live. That's why we can be judged according to our works, because those works are going to demonstrate what Peter articulated in 2 Peter 1, having escaped this judgment, being participants in the divine nature. Because of that, we can be judged by our works, because chapter 21 of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 5, then, the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He said, write these words. They're faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the thirsty from the spring of living waters a gift. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. John doesn't say unbelievers will perish. He says these kinds of people. Because belief can be demonstrated in life. These kinds of people who act like this, who are cowardly and vile and murderers and moral, if this is the pattern of their life, they obviously don't believe in what God has revealed about himself from creator to redeemer. Therefore, condemnation is their lot. John's statement here, especially about the immoral, takes us back to 2 Peter because over and over he has indicted those who deny judgment and broaden the spheres of what's morally acceptable. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, God reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them an example of those who were going to, to be ungodly. He, he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral. Coming out of that are those who in Peter's statement in 2 Peter 1, God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Judgment is coming. That judgment is going to be a judgment of activities, of works, of patterns of life, and those patterns demonstrate what someone believes. Therefore, there's an objectiveness to this judgment to come. So, if there is a delay, that delay is so that people's beliefs and behavior change. Verse 8. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. 
with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The danger of rebranding Christianity is that that if, if someone diminishes some aspect of it, like judgment, they need to recognize that God's word is consistent. And there's no, no factor that could inhibit his speech. When he judges, he's judging at that time. There's nothing that inhibits him. He's free to do it. So any delay is for his gracious purposes. When I was in high school, one of the fashion trends was gold chains that were these rope kind of gold chains. Maybe you've seen these. Not huge. Don't chuckle. Not those huge rope gold chains, but a thinner one. And being a lazy young man who didn't work nearly hard enough and didn't have enough money to buy one, I went to a jewelry store one time with a friend in this mall, and we were looking around. We'd seen these gold chains before, and we were talking with the, the, per, the clerk who worked there, and she set out several of these for us, and, and we were looking at them, and I was looking at them, and I just, there were several, probably five or eight of them sitting out there. I just grabbed one and just nonchalantly held it for a minute, and nonchalantly in a few minutes talking with her and trying to distract her, just put it back in my pocket. And just held my pocket there and just kept talking, trying to just distract and trying to distract. I was trying to steal this gold chain. And just talking and talking, just trying to distract and waiting. And the more I talked, the more I knew she knew. And the more I talked, the more I kept trying to talk, to distract delay and she just kept talking also can we see another one over here what about this one over here what, what about that one and she kept talking as well and she just looked at me just kept looking at me just kept looking delay delay soon there was enough of a distraction that as I put my hand back in my pocket I was able to to take that chain out and put it back on the counter. Just in the midst of, again, five or eight of these that are sitting out, and we're talking, my friend and I with her, and talking. The moment she knew that one of those was gone and saw my hand in my pocket, she could have judged me. That moment, I was guilty. She delayed. She delayed purposefully. She delayed, I think, in hope that I would put that chain back. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. Verse 8, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. The Lord doesn't delay his promise, as some understand it. He's patient. The whole point of the delay, the very idea that they are mocking, is God's gracious intention. There's a sense in which God does want all to come to repentance, his wooing love. This does not deny the previous chapter where those who continue on in wickedness will be judged 
and their judgment has been set from eternity, and it's not delaying. 2 Peter 2, verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle. Their destruction doesn't sleep. Both and is God's part here. For many to come to repentance, all he has chosen, and firmly to punish those whose lives display that they don't obey and whose lives display that they are partakers of the divine nature having escaped destruction that is in the world because of lust to give them eternal inheritance into the kingdom of the Son. Richard Bauckham writes, If from the human perspective God's return seems to be deferred, this delay must have its purpose in God's direction of history. The delay is a respite which God has graciously granted to his people before his intervention in judgment. And that's how Peter rounds out this section of his letter before the conclusion in verse 14. Notice with me in the text, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Though you think it's a delay, here here in the background of your mind, the Jesus parable of the virgins who were needing to be ready to come like a thief on that day. The heavens will pass away. A loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved. The earth and its works will be disclosed. Verse 10 takes us back to the idea of creation. God is sovereign by his word to create and to consume all of the natural world. And that same word is powerful through the prophets, through Jesus, and through the apostles. Therefore, pay attention to that revelation of God and the redemptive plan that he has enabled for you. Because destruction is coming. Verse 11, all these things will be destroyed in this way. It's clear what sort of people you should be. Look at verse 11. All these things are to be destroyed. Therefore, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. Again, the great integrity of of escaping the world and and partakers of the divine nature and and a holy lifestyle that demonstrates that, not perfectly, but there's some consistency between what we believe and and the, the hope that we have, the enablement that we have, and what's to come. In holy conduct and godliness... As you wait, verse 12, as you wait for and desire the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be on fire and dissolved and the elms will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Peter's language here, he he has already referenced over and over. He is speaking in a consistent frame from the the prophets and Jesus. We could cite many texts from Isaiah, Joel chapter 2, many of the prophets where they speak of God's cataclysmic destruction of the heavens and the earth changing and being altered by God's word in judgment. Therefore, verse 11, take account of your life and recognize, flee from the judgment that's to come as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God, verse 12. What's the danger of rebranding the Christian message? Well, if someone thinks that judgment is out of God's ability now, think, 
things are just continuing on, thinking God is a deist kind of figure who starts things, steps away, and, and in stepping away also loses some degree of control. That's not the case. God's word is absolutely consistent, whether it is in creating or altering creation for judgment, or it is through the prophets confirming Jesus through the apostles. It is God's word, and judgment will come, and that judgment will be an alteration of the natural world, at which time there will be condemnation. So repent. Look at God's grace in delaying. Friend, if you don't know Christ today, and I can say this at any point to you, as long as your heart is beating, as long as your lungs are breathing and you don't know Christ, today is the day to be saved. Today is the day to repent. There is no guarantee of 10 minutes from now for you. There is certainty of eternal condemnation. Just look at the facts, Peter is saying. Just look at the facts of God's creative power that he created by his word. So pay attention to his word of revelation in scripture. Look at what he has made and look at what he has said. And see the consistency in these things and repent. Today is the day of salvation. If there's any kind of delay, it's because of God's grace. It's not because he's somehow lost ability or interest. It's because of his kindness. It's because only by you heeding his revelation in his word can you be saved. So heed it. That's the point. In 2 Peter 1 Peter wrote, God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Dear friend, God wants to save you out of your corruption, out of your evil desires, out of your immorality. He wants to save you out of that. He wants to save you from the coming wrath. This is... For you to partake in his divine nature, to escape, to be made right, to be enabled to live in a new way, in a way that is consistent with this hope, in a way that demonstrates courage, not cowardliness, purity, not vile, moral integrity, not immorality. Those qualities that John wrote about in John 21, those will over the time of your life be less and less a characteristic of you and the opposite will be true because of the divine nature. Therefore, when you're judged, you're judged by Christ's blood that is shown in how you live or not by Christ's blood, which is shown in how you live. One leads to life the other to condemnation. This is a day for you. This is a day for you to be saved. You might be 16. You might be 13. You might be 30. You might be 16.